Listener Production. Ice in Antarctica is melting five times faster than we thought. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. We've modelled the melting ice caps for decades. The biggest concern we have is how it will cause sea levels to rise. But some new research has blown what we know out of the water. Today, I chat to Cosmos magazine journalist Matthew Ward-Aegis about ice melt and how it involves much more than rising sea levels. Okay, so Matt, the prospect that Antarctic ice is melting five times faster than we previously thought is pretty horrifying. Where does this number come from? It is. um, It's not good. But let's start off by saying this refers to just one piece of data from one study. Mm -hmm. The rate that we're referring to, the five times faster number, is from very recent research that pulled together data collected by satellites over many, many years. So 50 satellite surveys of the Antarctic ice sheets and the Greenland ice sheets were compiled by a network of climate scientists working across the globe. These surveys were taken over about 30 years between 1992 and 2020. And they showed that there's been a five-fold increase in ice melt since the 1990s and that seven of the worst years have occurred in the last decade. During this time, more than seven trillion tonnes of ice disappeared across both locations, across both Antarctica and Greenland. So this is a pretty clear indication, Sophie, that polar ice is melting at an unprecedented rate. And we know that with melting ice comes rising sea levels. And polar ice melt accounts for about a quarter of all sea level rise. Okay, a quarter of sea level rise. Can you put this into context for us, Matt? How serious is this? Because it sounds really, really terrible. It is serious. It is especially serious, though, for people or communities or ecosystems in low-lying areas. The easiest thing to think about is those island nations in the Pacific who have been most consistent in their calls to remedy climate change effects and impacts. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, the world's leading collaboration of scientists representing nations around the globe, says that polar ice melt is now the main contributor to global average sea level rise. The other thing we know, however, is that the rate at which ice is melting is a direct result of human behaviour. And human behaviour in this case is humans pumping more and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere? Correct. So more greenhouse gases means increased global temperatures, we're putting more energy into the atmospheric system, which means that more ice is going to melt, higher sea level rise. The IPCC predicts around 148 to 272 millimetres of average sea level rise could be solely attributed to ice sheets melting. And to put that into context, you know, I guess that's a ruler length of increased sea level on average. So you've got to remember that in some parts of the world it will be more. This might seem like a bit of a moot question at this point, but what do we know about the real-world effect of ice melt? What threat does it pose to ecosystems and humans at large? Yeah, it's worth going over as sea level rise continues to be an urgent question for science and scientists working in this space. Research published in the journal Nature, which is an incredibly reputable scientific journal, 
by Korean, Australian and American scientists in February this year warned that if global warming is not restricted to 1.8 degrees Celsius, and we are probably at this point on track to either meet or exceed that, then polar ice sheets alone will see sea levels rise around 1.4 metres by the year 2150, just over 100 years from now. The lead author of that study said that even a one metre level sea rise by the end of the century is possible. And obviously then that's 50 years earlier than the target they're talking about in 2150. And that rise alone could threaten more than 400 million people, which is more than the entire population of the United States today. One metre and, I mean, 1.4 metres, that sounds like a fair amount. Do we have any idea of what that would look like? A good way to visualise this, I reckon, is to use some reputable tools that are available online for the public to use to project out what these circumstances could look like. And I guess in saying this, you know, we take a healthy dose of understanding that these are based on the data and models that are available when they're put together. But I think you'll find that the projections are concerning. If we go and look at Sydney, in a scenario of Antarctica contributing 1.4 metres to global sea level rise as a result of melting ice, you can see that, you know, part of Sydney Airport is starting to be inundated. I mean, like a lot of it, like those runways are gone. Yeah, we're going to have to move it, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then the eastern beaches of Sydney are pretty popular and you can see like if you go to Bronte and Bondi, Mm -hmm. the sand's disappearing. Oh, yeah, they're gone. We're not talking about hitting houses and buildings and, you know, the high street that sort of fronts those beaches, but the beaches themselves are underwater. Yeah. But I think one of the probably most concerning ones is Brisbane and and Queensland is often cited by global climate scientific reports, including those of the IPCC, but those done by climate scientists in Australia regularly as being the most likely state in Australia that will sort of disproportionately experience the consequences of climate change. So this is if Antarctica contributes 1.4 metres of ocean rise. And you can see that again, Brisbane Airport, close to the coast, underwater. So clearly there is an impact, and that's what 1.4 metres for at least a few places could look like, let alone much lower-lying communities in the global context. There's even large estuaries in places like Bangladesh, large cities like Shanghai, New York. They are all close to sea level. There are all parts of the world close to the ocean that will be potentially affected by climate change and by inundation from sea level rise. One particular bit of science is still looking at polar ice, but it is looking at how the deep water ocean processes are changing as a result of that ice melting and how these changes could actually affect marine habitats and global temperatures. Okay, so what are these deep water ocean processes and why are they important? So this is really interesting research out of a collaboration between scientists from UNSW, the Australian National University, the University of Tasmania, MIT in the US and the CSIRO. That is looking at something called overturning circulation. And this is a natural process where deep water ocean currents transport nutrients and elements like oxygen, carbon and heat from the deepest levels of the ocean to other connected oceans around the globe. So let's unpack this. Every year, hundreds of trillions of tonnes of dense salt water sinks to the bottom of the ocean in Antarctica. And this water is really rich in nutrients. And this is because animals die all the time. 
That's that's life. We know that. It is, you know what? It just happens, guys. It just happens. And when that dead animal matter decays and deteriorates, it sinks down to the bottom of the ocean with that salt water. So there's heaps of nutrients at what are called those abyssal depths at the lowest points of the ocean. And what deep ocean currents do is move the material north towards the Atlantic, Pacific and Indian Oceans and then back up to the higher levels of the ocean. And this is really important as this helps shape climate systems and helps support marine life, which means that organisms have access to the nutrients they need to live. But then you insert something called meltwater into the picture and that's what's messing everything up. Okay, so do you want to take us through what meltwater is and why it's causing problems? So meltwater is essentially fresh water that comes from the melting of the ice sheets or ice caps. And this meltwater, because it's fresh water, there's no salt in it, it dilutes the density of the deep ocean salt water. So less water is now sinking to those depths and the overturning circulation process slows down. So therefore, fewer nutrients are going to be transported around the globe They're not going up to those upper levels of the ocean. And there are also concerns that this process could have knock-on effects. So namely the ability of the ocean to absorb carbon. If it absorbs less, then we're going to see greater changes in the atmosphere. So tropical rainfall bands and the health of marine ecosystem productivity will change and not for the better. We could see direct impact to food chains because phytoplankton are diminished. And that's sort of the base level of the food chain here. You know, everything that lives in the ocean needs phytoplankton. So, Matt, it does appear as if we're just continually kicking the can further down the road. And, of course, I mean the climate change can. Realistically, how long do we have left before we're seeing irreversible damage to things like Antarctic ice? Or have we already gone too far? A lot of climate scientists who we are seeing increasingly talking about these issues are saying, you know, we are at one minute to midnight or less. Right. In terms of that doomsday scenario. (laughs) And the reason why they're probably justifiably feeling a bit miffed is that they've been talking about it for quite some time now. Mm Mm-hmm. The general sentiment from climate scientists and people in this and related fields is that we know what the problem is and we now need to stop it. And largely that comes back to the use of fossil fuels in our energy mix. And countries like Australia are now starting to say, all right, we're going to ramp up our transition towards renewable sources because fossil fuels are the major contributor. But it's the speed with which that happens and about seeing it happen on a global scale. It's very much a policy and political issue, as it probably always has been. Most deadlines now are very much at the end of this decade, and most thresholds being crossed. We're even starting to see crossed now. And that is one of the warnings that came out of a lot of this research, is that their estimates are conservative. And a lot of the time when these models are being done, it gets published a little while after they actually do the work. So they're probably, by the time the report lands, already further behind where climate change is at. We know that it's starting to happen or that it already is happening and it's about how we're going to try and mitigate that problem. Matthew Ward Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. 
catch you next time.